know, I was going to say, so many other shows that focus on the Big Bang Theory, I think we're relatively actually in the minority, you know, as far as, like, topics to glom onto. And that could be because the show has been off the air for years now, but... Um, I know there's an... I get TikToks from another podcast that seems to do a much better job of talking about different... They do different sitcoms generally, but yes, I think we, we maintain our crown as the longest-running, most specialized... Uh, podcast on the Big Bang Theory that it has ever existed. So that's like we're like a world historical event in that sense. And in case you don't know what Kyle's referring to, uh, he's talking about the podcast you're listening to right now. It's the Big Bang Theory Theory. Hi, I'm Nick. And I'm Kyle. And yeah, we have been watching the entirety of the television series, The Big Bang Theory. And we are only a little over the halfway mark because we are watching it about half as quickly as it actually came out. And uh, now we are on Season 7, Episode 2, and uh, what we do is we, uh, we we talk about the episodes, we pick them apart, we figure out what we like, what we don't like, but honestly, more and more, uh, that's just fodder for us to talk about everything else we actually enjoy, because I think, uh, you know, it's... Kyle, our premise Nick. is fundamentally flawed, I hate to say it, because... Of our of our iTunes reviews, which yes. are not that many, people need to give us more. But there are a significant number of them who are people that think they have found a Big Bang Theory fan cast. Yes, and, and are, are disappointed. I imagine they're so annoyed. They're like, "Why are they even talking about the show if they don't like it?" And we've talked in the past about how that itself is a silly question. But you know, I don't think we put us do enough to put ourselves out there as a a critical show. <laughs> And at the same time, um, we did get a recent review, which was, hey, your show is fine, but oh, God, the liberal politics. I'm telling you, <laughs> that shit's not going to end anytime soon. I don't know. Love us or hate us. That's not going like, to hide can, I that. Feel, I feel like we could be so much worse. When do, like, I, well, I don't want, we, now, I'm, so, so two, two competing imperatives are, are coursing to my brain because the first was like, I didn't really think we we talked that often about liberal really politics, but then but then my second argument is, well, fuck that guy. Maybe I should maybe I should go on an extended rant about how much Ron DeSantis sucks. Maybe that's like the yeah. you know just as a middle finger to whoever said that. Yeah, my my reaction. You know, there there are a few different reactions I could have had. None of them included. Yeah, maybe I do need to keep my <laughs> politics to myself. I feel like a real ass. But yeah, I think you're right that we we don't like often get explicitly into politics, but that you know, I think because we we are trying to critique the show and that means you know, revealing how we feel about the culture overall that yeah, our politics get wrapped up in that and I don't think at any point either of us has been like, "Oh man, I just wish this more women would get married so they'd not bother me while I'm trying to like frack or something like that. And I'm like, (laughs) so we're not going to do that. Well, let me just, well, yeah, we'll just put this out there. We are, I feel like between the two of us, we are just two of the most, well, I mean, I know that the entire country is split violently in two and falls on two. We are the most politically normy of one half of that divide. Like, there are many ways in which you and I have had unique life experiences that have shaped us in very unique and specific ways. And there are all sorts of, I'm sure, like, fine-tuned nuances about things when it comes to, like, our specific views on anything, just like everyone. But when it comes to, like, how we vote, it's like, yeah, we vote exactly how you would think that two people who are not Republicans would vote and feel yeah. basically on every issue like you would think two people who are not Republicans feel on every issue. So it's we're pretty standard in that sense. Am I going to discourage my comrades from throwing Molotov cocktails through, like, police cruiser windows? Of course not. But, you know, I'm not a, I, I, I take it to the ballot box, man. You know, that's me. I'm going to vote our way out of all of messes. All of the messes in the world. Anyway, yeah, I guess, I guess we talk about politics sometimes when we don't talk about the show. Which, you know what, I guess, I guess we got to... We got to eat our vegetables. We got to do what the show is actually about for at least a few minutes. And so, Kyle, this week we watched Season 7, Episode 2, officially titled 
the deception verification. And uh, Kyle, so I watched the episode earlier this morning before I had to go do this other like writing workshop thing, and I was a little worried about how uh, the memory the episode would stick in my mind, especially since heads up, oh, it's a real dud. Like it's not bad <laughs> in any way, but it's just I think it's you know fairly unremarkable. And so I pulled up the wiki, um, so I would have backup to do the summary and. Uh, I do. You know. mean we could have been using wiki summaries this whole time? This God, whole time that was an option, and it just never occurred. We don't to me even that we need could to. Just... We don't even need to do the podcast. <laughs> People that want to learn everything there is to know about the Big Bang Theory have the resource. Yeah, but the, yeah, we we if we wanted to, we could just read from it. You know, we could transition into a uh, real crime podcast and just describe murders and giggle over them. But no, the, the, I'm ashamed because... So it has two different plot summaries for the same episode. There is the extended plot, which goes into very serious detail. But then there is the summary, which beats the pants off of my summaries. Check this out. Sheldon gets angry at Leonard when he sneaks back into Pasadena to spend some time with Penny. Howard suffers the effects of his mother's hormonal cream. Okay, let's talk about our favorite thing of the week. <laughs> Why have we not been doing that this whole time? So that's our new I'm I petition that from now on I mean we can still talk about the episode but that should definitely be made a regular part of our process here as we still fine tune this show you know 6 years in or whatever you know from now on yeah just read that that's great any questions yeah any of that didn't jog it did that jog your memory fully ooh here's what I'll say so also on the wiki uh this episode was directed by you know, the primary director, it seems. Mark Sandrowski. Like, exactly, yes. And uh, I'm surprised by that, because I was like, I don't know, this one... I, I, there, were, there were some things I liked about it, but overall, I feel like it just wasn't hitting the right beats. Like, it's weird to say that, like, a 22-minute epi- episode of a sitcom has, like, weird pacing, but I don't know. It's like, so, but yeah, it's... To, to elaborate slightly more on the, the high-quality plot summary is when Leonard comes back from his voyage, which I'm sad is over, by the way. I really wanted to, like, see more of how the rest of the gang tried to, like, explore their relationships without the rock of Leonard there. And also, you know, how they respond to him being a cool, acceptable guy in that environment while they're all still miserable nerds at home. So we had one episode about that, and I'm sad we're already past it. But yeah, so Leonard, he comes back from his trip and he gives Sheldon one date, but he actually comes back a few days earlier than that to spend some time with Penny alone. And Sheldon finds out and gets real huffy about it, I think semi-reasonably. And that's kind of it. And they work it out. And then, you know, the aforementioned hormonal cream is sort of a B-plot, which I will give credit this time. It does actually... Uh, substantially affect the A-plot and help resolve it, which is, you know... And actually, there was a line I, I liked here, and I'm never sure whether I'm using the, the word lampshading correctly, and so Kyle, correct me if this is not an appropriate application. Wallowitz is talking with Bernie, and he's got a uh, some sort of tube of cream that has been used up, and he's saying to Bernie, oh, this is this cream that I have to put on my mom's back, Oh, but it's out because they, you know, don't, they, they underestimated the square footage of my mother. And Bernie, Bernadette is like, well, but why do you do that? And he says, because I have an unhealthy relationship with her. And I was like, well, that is the most obvious thing you could have said. But at the same time, the fact that you're at least acknowledging it makes me appreciate it. You're not unaware of how stupid your relationship is. But yeah, so the way it actually helps resolve the A-plot, though, is that um, uh, it is estrogen cream that he's been giving his mom, and he hasn't been wearing gloves, apparently, and has just been absorbing it. And so the episode begins with Wallowitz kind of just, like, offhandedly making some comments about getting fat and how he's uncomfortable in his body, and the other nerds are like, yeah, whatever. Except for Raj, who is like, I don't know, let's, like, lift up our shirts and compare titties. And that's a fun scene. But otherwise, Wallowitz, you know, takes on, I guess you could say, some sort of more female characteristics. Really, he just has emotions and sensitivities he is not aware of how to deal with. And he's just kind of like 
dumping out feelings more than he normally would. He has like zero creepiness in this episode. He he's just like I mean, effectively, and Bernadette even makes a joke about it, is like, you're on your period and you don't know how to deal with it. I've had to deal with this my whole life, so, like, you're gonna have a rough time. But the way he resolves the the, the tension between Sheldon and Penny and Leonard is, uh, you know, he makes pretty, like, earnest uh, plea to be like, you're friends and you love each other and it's beautiful and this is ridiculous. And, you know, it's it's not particularly funny, nor is it, like, so earnest that it's, like, touching. It, it's in that middle ground where it's like, I know this is a joke, but it's functional. So I liked that, you know, they actually tied things together. That's the one, like, really positive thing I'll say about the episode is it felt cohesive in that sense. I don't know how you feel, Kyle. Yeah, I mean, just jumping into... So, the first thing is, I was... Uh... A little bit surprised to hear you say that uh, you thought Sheldon being upset was understandable. I guess I you're semi right. Semi reasonable, semi. I guess you're right. It was just like the flip side of it was, you know, dude wants to hook up with his girlfriend for a few days without right. having any other responsibilities, and I thought that was like a perfectly reasonable thing to do as well. I guess you're right. I guess well, it basically just depends on which one of those two people, because I've been both of those people before. I've been the, man, I don't want everybody else to know I'm in town, because if everybody else knows I'm in town, they'll expect me to hang out with them, and I don't really want to do that. But I've also been the person yeah. who's like, man, you were in town, and you didn't even call and let me know that you were in town so we could hang out. So well, and, and the two I have been on both did. sides of that. Well, in describing that, I think... The reason I say it's semi-reasonable is that I think Sheldon can't help but be hurt, you know? Because he's like, oh, my friend is here, and I was really excited to see him, and I've missed him so much. And now I know that he's here, and he wants to spend more time without me. And that's like a that's like a reflex, right? Like, he can, you know, decide what to do about that. But the fact that he has that emotional reaction, I'm like, Sheldon, I get that. But the reason, where I think the reasonableness ends is where Sheldon has to recognize that, well, yeah, he wants to, like, spend time with his beloved and just roll around in each other's bodies for a couple of days. And uh, that's the that's the part where I think he needs to accept that and doesn't. And if they focused on that more, you know, maybe it would have been a more interesting part of the episode. But I think everyone else does, like, look at Sheldon, and I think they're all taking the position you do, Kyle, where they're like, you kind of got to get over it, man, until Wallowitz cleans it all up at the end. Yeah, and that was actually – so speaking of talking about, like, lampshading relationships and stuff, I guess that was part of the – I mean, it's not interesting or com- conflicted in this episode, but there are there are a couple of fu- – it does highlight the basic dynamic with which with Leonard and Wallowitz, which – or Leonard and – oh, my God. Raj? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, with sorry, Leonard Sheldon. And Sheldon, Yeah. Um, yeah, I just forgot the main character's name for a minute there. It's no, who we've just been it talking about. It has happened about. to me a lot. And, you know, the fact that it's finally caught up to you. Hey, how are those faculties, my man? Huh? <laughs> Anything else that you don't remember? Ooh, you don't remember, do you? Oh, that's going to get you. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so, yeah, so Leonard and Sheldon, <laughs> there's one of the better jokes in the episode was Sheldon's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I just didn't realize this whole time that you've, uh, you know, secretly hated me and been sick of me. And Leonard goes, oh, no, that's not fair because I tell you that at least once a month. Yeah. And and that does sort of hi- – like the, fun- the, the fundamental deus ex machina of that episode is basically Howard walking in being like, you guys realize you are compelled by the narrative of this show to continue to be friends, right? So this can have no real long-lasting impact on your relationship. But it's true. They don't actually – like, there's no, I think that's, I think what fundamentally felt weird, you were describing that this episode feels kind of weird, yeah. I think what fundamentally feels weird so far, I mean, we're only two episodes into this season, so it's fine, but that there's not, the status quo of this show used to be, watch these four nerdy goofballs uh, hang out with each other, you know, and most episodes started with the four of them together in, like, uh, Sheldon and Leonard's living room doing something uh They'd all be exhaustingly doing, like, over the top nerdy nerd stuff, yeah, yeah, and playing Connect Star Wars, and you know, again, we're I'm sure there will be more opening like openings like that, but so far in this season, it's like everyone's been very isolated. Like basically, this episode was about how 
Leonard is sort of cutting himself off from Sheldon and Sheldon is spending most of his time then with, with Penny or Amy and Mm -hmm. then Bernadette uh, and then like Wallowitz barely has a scene together with the others until the end. They're their own unit at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Wallowitz is with Bernie and Raj is off doing his own thing and just stop. Like none of these characters actually have like a strong gravitational attraction to each other anymore. Yeah. It's well, and like you said, it is only the second episode of the season, and so who knows where the thrust of the plot will start to come in. Should have been two episodes ago, or an episode yeah. ago. It's like... Almost as if, and I, I, we've talked, like, there's no, like, this would be, if we were a, if we had the, like, if we cared more to do research and things and actually find things out, I'd be really interested to know what everybody's schedule was looking like. Because this, what this really, to be honest, feels like is, uh, but I have no way of knowing for sure, is like, you know, well, we're seven episodes in the show. All of these people had other things that they would rather be doing with their time at this point. And so they were all off pursuing other gigs as much as possible. And it was actually hard to all get them in a room together to film scenes together. Uh, and so the plot is sort of accommodating the fact that it's just harder to get these people, you know, seven seasons in to actually all be in the room first thing. I mean, that's an interesting because qu- I think it was, it was at the end of the last season that they were. Although they even talk about this about how Wallowitz wasn't actually there when Raj discovered he had the ability to talk to women. Um, oh, you mean Leonard wasn't there? Leonard wasn't there. Yeah, damn it. You're right. My brain is turning into an old man's brain like yours. Um, but. We'll have a lot more in common soon. It is actually incredibly rare to have all of the principles of this show, all of the men and all of the women in a single scene together. Like, I can't remember the last time that happened. The last time that stands out to me is that insane episode where they all uh, agreed that they were going to keep the truth about Wallowitz's father to themselves and just let him guess which story he preferred to believe. (laughs) I think I think that's like the one episode of this entire series that really affected me cuz that was the one where I was like cuz you have daddy issues too. Well, I mean, absolutely I do, but you know what I don't have are well, maybe I do of issues <laughs> of all of my friends conspiring to keep the truth from me in some sort of backwards effort to to help me. Oh I, no, I yeah, absolutely Greg, have that. Greg he he knows he's 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 onto us. You got it. Yeah, no, bury it, bury it in the backyard, or burn it, burn it now. No, so it's just, yeah, it's everybody is drifted apart, sort of naturally, and it just, it feels weird. It feels weird because it's a show that's ostensibly, you know, what it doesn't eat. Like, I think what's weird is most other shows that sort of have the same problem. They still like, you know, ah, I guess here's what I'm saying. They don't have like the coffee shop or the bar. Like, remember how There's in no Central Fre- Perk. Yeah, there's no Central Perk. There's no, uh, I don't remember what, like, oh, Halloran's or whatever it was in How I Met Your Mother. There's no place where, like, whatever else is going on you expect. I mean, even the one, I guess that was originally the point of, like, the the Caltech cafeteria. But the Caltech cafeteria, they don't all go to Caltech. So there's no reason no. why the girls would all be at the Caltech cafeteria. And it would also it would also be kind of narratively weird if they were all like still hanging out and eating dinner every night at like Leonard's house. Cause like, you know, one of them's married and they're all, yeah, it just, well, but, but without yeah. that, with that, that is like a very basic like technique for keeping you grounded and like what the characters relationships are supposed to be to each other. And the show isn't doing that anymore. Well, something that you made me think of just now is that, you know, when you say that, see, we can talk about this show. We can be critical. We're, we're doing it. Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's a miserable slog, but today somehow we're getting there. And, you know, what you just said about how, like, the Caltech cafeteria doesn't make a whole lot of sense because most of them wouldn't be there. But, like, I think just about everyone except for Penny has reason to be there. And what I'm thinking is weird now is that, like, Amy is, I'm pretty sure she's there. I think that's where she works. But she is never with the dudes in the cafeteria. And Bernadette, like, I don't know. I don't even know if she's practicing as a scientist. They, like, never touch on her career. I don't think... So, my assumption has always been that, I mean... Well, I've never thought about it before, but just going back in the context, I think that um, Amy uh, works... Kid very... Like, she works maybe at a different... For, like, a different 
academic organization. Like she obviously she does research, but it's not clear that she does research like where the rest of them are. She might do research at a different school. Yeah, yeah. Um, if only to explain like why they had never met. Because remember, at the start of the show, the premise was that like there's a whole little ecosystem of nerds at this university, and where they all know each other, and yet none of them had ever met Amy. So it really or Bernadette. So it really only makes sense if they aren't part of the same system. You're right um, about that. Yeah. Although you could easily resolve. Well, we'll we'll get to that in a second. But also, I think I'm pretty sure Bernadette's private sector. Like I think she works well, for like them, like some you know govern some like corporation like figuring out how to make bioweapons or maybe the u.s defense department well and that's why i was more tentative about including her because i think where to me amy's situation has been more ambiguous yeah i don't think it's ever been suggested that that bernadette is at the university and i do think you're probably right that she's doing private stuff um i'm just like i don't know i'm annoyed like you know we we, we talked about it in the past but like they never emphasize her nerdiness, like, unless, like, she's with the other ladies, and she'll be like, yeah, I know what diseases are, and everyone's like, oh, right, and she wears glasses, but I don't know, it's, I, I just feel like she's, she's not what I want her to be, which isn't no, fair, she, but. She doesn't have a lot of, she's basically, at this point, in, and pretty, she's the down-to-earth one. Yeah, like, she's, she's the foil to Wallowitz, she's relatively normal compared to the rest of the crew yeah like she's basically she's penny but she's smart and doesn't have the same weird issues or vanities yeah i mean if i were right the most obvious thing to do in the world would be to just say oh hey guys guess what i got a job at your because i'm also a qualified scientist so i'll be working at your university and eating lunch in the cafeteria with you too hell they could just have you know penny get a job at like the university cafeteria or whatever it it doesn't or she could just be going to school there to get a master's degree. I mean, it would be so easy to bring them all into the same sphere that, I, that the fact that they don't do that suggests that there's like there was some real internal reason why they felt like that wouldn't like there was like, again, the only thing I could think of is there must be scheduling conflicts or reasons why they think it would be too hard to have them all in the same room too often at the same time. I just wrote my first joke that fits into your premise where. Penny does, in fact, work at the cafeteria, having moved there from the Cheesecake Factory because she actually gets benefits there and can be more around Leonard and all of those things. And the joke is that uh, she starts working at the cafeteria and they're all at home afterwards. And she's like, oh, God, I made so much in tips today. And Leonard says, they don't tip anybody at the cafeteria. You don't earn tips there. And she's like, well, I don't know. I just all these old professors kept throwing money at me all day, so here I am. That's I like my, that's my first joke. You can take it. No, I like this. So here's the plan. When we finally people have asked us what we're going to do when we run out of episode, nobody's asked us. I nobody well, I get cares. it all the time. Actually, I don't know about you, but my fucking friends are always like, "When are you gonna do Young Sheldon? When yeah, are you gonna no, do Young Sheldon? I will. I will be. I will be." Uh, uh, crucified on the cross before I will. Uh, sorry, religious trauma. That's just where my brain goes. I will be. I will be. Uh, you will find me wandering naked down the California interstate highway system before you catch me reviewing Young Sheldon. That is, a man has to draw the line. But I think this will be. So our new after we are done with all of the episodes of this show in another six years. We're just going to keep going, and we're just going to make up new episodes of The Big Bang Theory, like two crazy people who refuse to acknowledge. So we'll just, every week, we'll talk about the episode of The Big Bang Theory that we watched, even though the show's been dead, and people who are not in on that joke can tune in and be really confused. Because I think by that point, yeah, we will have more than enough ammunition to make up an episode of The Big Bang Theory every week. Kyle, when I was getting my my undergrad degree in English literature. Yes. I remember one day sitting in the hallway with a couple of fellow students. We were waiting for the bell for our Latin class to start. And uh, one of one of them says, literary criticism, huh? I mean, there's absolutely no use for that, right? It is a completely unnecessary field. And I was stymied at the time because he's right. He always has been right. He's right to this day. Kyle, what you and I can do is we are not just critics. No, your plan takes us to the next level where we, we will have spent 
12 years studying the Big Bang Theory. And then we will finally have to put ourselves to the test about whether we can actually do any better, you know? Like, can we improve the show based on how much shit we've talked about it by that time? Over a decade of check-ins to just tear apart 22-minute disposable media, and then we can create the, the epic final season that draws everyone's middle-aged lives back together yeah i think that's we'll do a we'll plot out the non hopefully non-existent because if the only thing that would really fuck up our whole day is if they actually launched a big bang theory reboot at which point i may have to hang myself but uh, uh assuming that i they never do that because why god would they then yeah that's the plan we will plot our own big bang theory reboot I'm- that exists only in our own two imaginations I'm not ruling out that that won't happen, but I think it's going to be a while, at least a couple of decades. And if it does happen, I'm going to be like, well, this is the sign. This is, I know that from here on, life will only get worse, unambiguously, (laughs) and the television is telling me to hang myself. (laughs) It's like the, it's like, uh, you know, there are, there's an old, atheist forum comment that's like the existence of parasitic wasps disproves the existence of god because because no loving god could make something that's so horrible is this the one that individually stings every section of the caterpillar or whatever yeah it no it's the one that stings it and paralyzes it and lays eggs inside it oh great yeah, and so the the creature is slowly being eaten alive by the by baby wasp while still conscious and it's like and they're, you know, if that's an evolutionary niche that I think, yeah, a season of the big a reboot of the Big Bang Theory would occupy a similar psychological space, I think, in all of in my mind. Uh, anyway, uh, on that cheery note, I will say this. This was the first time in a while where like a comment about nerd culture actually specifically brought me back to the moment in my life. Ooh. Uh, not in like a good or a bad way def- or a nostalgic way. It's just they talk about uh, as just a throwaway line because they do go to the comic shop in this episode very briefly. And Sheldon spends like $12,000 on an aqua or $1,200 on an Aquaman statue, yes. which I, I have nothing to say about. They mentioned specifically that they're in the middle of uh, – what was known at the time of the superior Spider-Man arc, which was when uh, Dr. Octopus, who was dying of cancer, managed to, at the last minute, uh, upload his consciousness into Peter Parker's body. So there was like a longer, like it was, I think, a almost like two to three year run in the comics where, um, written by Dan Slott, who is like the oh. longest running Spider-Man writer of all time, where... Uh, Spider-Man was basically secretly Dr. Octopus in disguise, uh, but trying to prove that he could be Spider-Man better than Spider-Man ever was. So it was kind of fun. Like, uh, as they talk about in the thing, it is kind of fun. It was, you know, all of the silliness of Spider-Man with just a little touch of Freaky Friday. Yeah, that's, uh, well, that was one of those jokes that, like, annoyed me a little, not because it was, like, necessarily a bad joke, but exactly what you just said is Raj is, like, Oh, it has a little bit of this, and it has a little bit of Freaky Friday. And the joke is like, oh, because Raj is the kind of guy who would love Freaky Friday. Look at Raj. Yeah, as if we all don't love Freaky Friday. Yeah, I just... ah. The, the, yeah. the jokes about his, like, general femininity gets so old. Well, speaking of, that's what I was I was wondering if you were going to touch... They do, they kind of lampshade... Now, I, now, now I use... are stuck in that the, rut today. I used it incorrectly that time, probably, but they do basically the 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 capstone joke to the whole Wallowitz has been dosed with estrogen thing is that is really all it does is make him act the way Raj acts all the time. Like they yeah. don't specifically say that, but I thought that I was surprised they didn't just point it out because Raj, you know, coming over and and you know performing a. Uh, breast exam on Wallowitz. They're basically like I thought. Implicit in that joke is is that uh, his behavior hasn't. He's not secretly being dosed with estrogen, but he has always been effeminate, and now Wallowitz is equally effeminate. And there yeah. you go. Well, no, I think you're right because like this new area of discomfort for Wallowitz, where he is suddenly so conscious of his body and his feelings and his insecurities. 
when he's sharing this with Raj, yeah, Raj is like, oh no, I'm right here for you, baby. This is this is not new. Like, yeah, let's fucking put our shirts up over our heads and grab each other's tits because I too wonder if mine are getting bigger. And I'm glad that you're finally on board. And you know what? Well, Raj isn't going to have that next episode. Here we see Raj, finally, one of the friends is fucking on his level and he's going to lose it. It's tragic. I'm going to say uh, one joke I actually liked was... I think maybe an unofficial segment moving forward is official favorite joke of the, the, the week. And mine was when... that's We tried to make that a segment like a long time ago. We're just... We're going around oh, in circles, man. there weren't any man. good jokes, yeah. Yeah. We tried to do that where we'd be like, what was the best joke in this episode? And then we hit a real rut there for a while. So we, st- we stopped it. But sure, bring it back, baby. Well, sure. The best one I thought... And something that we actually did totally skip over that wasn't in the short summary. Maybe it's not the perfect system... Is that um, before Sheldon totally catches on that Leonard is back, uh, you know, he sees signs in Penny's apartment. And there's a, I'm going to ask you about this. There's a joke that I don't think I got. And so, like, he sees in there that she's got two glasses of wine out, that there's all these to-go containers in the garbage. And um, so he tells this to Amy, and Amy's like, no, 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 she would never cheat on him. And they have one scene where they're spying by holding their ear up to the door uh, and trying to listen in on whatever's happening in Penny's apartment. And uh, Sheldon has his ear up to the door and he says, I think I hear kissing. And Amy's like, how would you know? And I liked that. Oh, but the thing I didn't get. So I don't know. They, they really emphasize this among the clues that someone else was there is Sheldon is like, oh, but I see uh, takeout containers in your garbage. And she's like, Penny is like, oh, yeah, well, I had takeout the other night. I'm like, but the containers are in the garbage. Yes, I think the implication there, which I'm sure you were able to piece this together, you were probably just like, has this been a part of Penny's personality that I just missed or forgot about? And I think the answer is somewhat, but it's been, they're very lazy. And so they, they, it's not really something that is consistent the the joke there is that i guess penny is such a slob that normally what she does is when she finishes her takeout she just leaves the containers wherever they lie so her apartment is normally just littered with uh empty styrofoam containers just like little soldiers just all over the countertops and couch and wherever uh which leads to the question of so at what point a why isn't her apartment crawling in cockroaches and b at what point does someone eventually clean all that stuff up if it's just normally like that because it's really if you take that seriously it's quite a disgusting image that's way across my mind i didn't i did not get it at all so oh you imagining that other filth of her apartment, yeah, it's not something that, that I was thinking of. But I do like that you've just disgusted yourself thinking about how bad it would be if they did well, accurately they have, portray they've, it. They've talked before about like the fact that like she leaves empty liquor bottles everywhere. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, but never empty food containers, which is a lot gr- – like for some reason I'm totally willing – you know, as a former college student, I'm always willing to give people a free pass. I'm willing to stack their empties somewhere like a, you know, a, a shrine to their own alcohol abuse. Of course. But, uh, but uh, that's, just a, that's just our God-given rights. No, leaving, leaving empty food is just you – know, particularly in L.A., just try, you're going to have a bad time. I, uh, I did not – learn about the true nature of things rotting in the warm climate until Halloween came around and uh, growing up and again living in Montana it's cold, it's real cold in the fall and if you put a jack-o'-lantern on your door on October 1st it can stay there in its own shape until May 5th and then in California and SoCal that same pumpkin will just be like gelatin by the next day and it's awful and ugh. I feel like I feel like there's certain parts of Halloween maybe you just shouldn't celebrate down there because they get so gross. <laughs> but anyway, that's hey, yeah, climates. What do they what do they do to food? That's what we're talking about now. We should probably move on to our favorite things. Unless there's anything else about this episode you want to discuss. Now, let's All go. Right. So I've got we one. actually so guys are you happy we talked a lot about the Big Bang Theory today we did more than either of us meant to I was ready to just gloss over it and we got sucked in anyway well yeah I Kyle. think when the summary isn't as specific that gives us more time to act that gives us more room to be like oh yeah and then this happened but uh, 
what with with the part of the show that people tend to like way more we are going to talk about things that we actually enjoy and would recommend that you watch so you're not hanging out watching all this big bang theory garbage like us and i have one ready how do you feel Kyle? okay i'll go first so uh again just catching up on movies i've missed and trying to, to trying to finally get around to i have finally watched david cronenberg's the brood and uh the short way to describe this one is I, I don't know how early in his career it is I think really early I think it came out like late 70s but it's a man is divorced and has a child and his ex-wife is in a let's say alternative wellness center she has gone to be treated by this doctor who specializes in psychoplasmics which is this idea of it's like this combination of like pretty basic talk therapy and like playing roles to examine trauma different ways. And as someone that's had a lot do a lot of therapy, I was like watching all that and I was like, oh, this part seems pretty legit and normal. Uh, the big difference is that psychoplasmics, at first it is just suggested and later on, very, very, very much proven uh, that it actually changes your body based on whatever trauma it is you're trying to process. And one of the ways this is examined and which really showed me it's a David Cronenberg movie, is at first I was like, hey, this seems to be a pretty dry examination of a divorce and learning how to co-parent with somebody that you cannot get along with. That seems pretty tame for a Cronenberg movie. Let's see what happens. And then later on in the, the movie, some guy's like, yeah, I did psychoplasmics. He tried to treat me for my lymphoma. And the main character is like, you're telling me that therapy made your lymphoma worse? That's insane. And he's like, oh yeah, watch this. And then the giant disgusting tumors he shows on his neck. I'm like, oh, it's a Cronenberg movie, all right. Yep, that's body horror. That is not a pleasant looking image at all. Oh my. And so that's the very basics. And I don't think it's spoilery to reveal. And if you're worried about a 1975 movie spoiled for, being spoiled for you, like skip the next 10 seconds. So, like I said, the, the, the two adults have a child in common. And one day, uh, I think it is the, the wife's mother uh, is murdered. And it is in it, it is juxtaposed with one of the wife's therapy sessions where she is venting about her mother. And some weird little troll child murders her. And what it turns out to be... And they discuss this very matter-of-factly. It's like horrible sci-fi world, but like the forensic investigators are all like, oh yeah, totally classic case. Ugly little troll child <laughs> who's living in the attic or whatever. And uh, it, it turns out that, yeah, maybe this, this horrible little creature, wouldn't you know it, is related to the psychoplasmics uh, research and the therapy and husband tries to get involved to do something about it. Um, and so... It's it's great. It is like I whenever I think about David Cronenberg, like the first thing that comes to mind is body horror, and body horror is almost always like explicitly part of a horror movie. But this to me, like honestly, felt like more of a drama, and not in a bad way at all. Like it's you know, it doesn't rely on scares. It's really like it is not on the surface, really like. It's, it's not too on the nose about, like, trying to examine this relationship or use metaphors or whatever. Um, but it is just like, yeah, these two people have a problem. And guess what? It There happen to be these horrible things that happen to their bodies. But it's never brought up as, like, a too spooky scary. It's And, yeah, it's great. If you are interested in Cronenberg stuff and you want something that isn't particularly juicy, I think this is a good place to start. And also, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate it. And that, like I said, I, I wouldn't even necessarily call it a horror movie. Like maybe psychological thriller or something like that. That just happens to get kind of squishy sometimes. So David Cronenberg's The Brood. Kyle, your turn. I was going to so I have an alternate. If you want David Cronenberg that's not squishy, uh, I don't know if... It, you know what? Never mind. Why am I getting shit all over your recommendation? Fine. We should you just talk about. You don't need to shit all. You can add another one that doesn't shit on my recommendation. Okay, that's good. It's just someone reminded me that David Cronenberg directed the Christopher Walken 
uh, movie uh, Stephen King adaptation, The Dead Zone. And I was like, really? Oh, I didn't. I don't think I knew he did that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because that movie. I mean, it's actually it's a pretty good movie. But no, it's and it's uh, like you said, it it's it's not really a horror movie. It's more of like an existential movie about the deep sads. But uh, and you know, nuclear war. But it's yeah, you would have no idea that that was a Cronenberg movie. Okay, so my recommendation. First off, I just want to say, so I'm just going to go on a couple of little tangents today. Oh, Oh. boy, here we go. Classic Kyle tangent coming through. So first off, I woke up this morning to hear the sad news that uh, Lance Reddick had died. Yeah, I saw that last night. It's awful. So amazing actor. I think the first thing I ever saw him in was uh, not the first thing he was in. I, I'm sure the first thing I saw him in was probably Lost because he 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 played a role on Lost. But that wasn't the thing where he was he was just sort of a random character, weird character. Like most of the characters on Lost, he was just like, "Who who is this mysterious person going to turn out to be?" And then the answer is nothing satisfying. Mm. Um, um, so that wasn't really what uh, what caught my attention but of course you know i watched the wire and he was one of the best as with all the characters on the wire he was you know this police captain who was who was incredible on the one hand he was you know uh very explicitly politically motivated about trying to do his job in a way that would get him you know the most uh you know career accolades and attention and promotion and maybe like launch him to some other kind of political office but then as the show goes on you watch how the moments when that conflicts with like being a good police officer he consistently chooses to be a good police officer even though it's hard for him and goes against some of his instincts and he just he captured that role so well but if you want something funny and short that he's in uh as i was going through the you know the different clips and things of him online the funnier die sketch he he uh he was in came out called uh toys are me which is mm. sort of a pair uh he ba- where he plays the world's most intense uh toys are us uh manager and <laughs> it's 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 funny from beginning to end the dude obviously had quite the sense of humor and it contained some all-time great lines including uh if any of you leaves a you know a shit streak in my toilet bowl i will personally visit each and every one of your houses and shit in places that will leave you confused for the rest of your lives <laughs> well i the one thing i will add that i recommend you go check out is um i haven't watched a lot of the eric andre show like the the prank <laughs> stuff i'm not totally into but the interviews i think are great and I will say nothing about it. Just look up Eric Andre, Lance Reddick, and let it wash over you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw that one today, too. Oh, um, that's that's just, it's incredible. I love it. Yeah, so uh, so there's that. Also, uh, a brief plug. Uh, um, this is, no way is this going to bring in any revenue for these people, because the crossover is, I think, zero. But if anyone wants to go on... Uh, kickstarter uh one of my favorite tabletop rpgs that i talk about from time to time lancer uh is being sort of bespoke adapted into a video game by like two people basically there's like one video game developer and one other person who have decided that they're going to you know devote an incredible amount of their time to uh to making a um a video game port the game Lancer and it's already, you know, they've already made, you know, it, you can go on itch and IO and play the demo because it already exists, but they also started a Kickstarter so that hopefully they can get paid to do more of the development work. And it's not like they, they've already made like, you know, a hundred thousand on this Kickstarter, but you know, if anybody, if anybody wants to go and give them a little more money, I think they're shooting to make like, if they're going to do all of the stuff that's in the book, cause it is a quite, mechanically heavy rpg they estimate that's going to cost them about uh and they you know they're and they're going to have to actually like quit their jobs and go at it full time it's probably going to cost like one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which mm. is you know a lot of money so every little bit helps also what was the other thing oh yeah speaking of tabletop rpgs i got my hands on one that i'd wanted to check out for a while nice but just continuing in the vein of games that are simultaneously like do all of the same things that people claim that they like Dungeons and Dragons for doing, but is like much like just 
more aesthetically rich and also like shorter and easier to learn there's this great game that's been out for a while but i hadn't gotten the physical copy of it called red giant uh and red giant is a tabletop rpg explicitly inspired by things like uh berserk and claymore and castlevania and things like that where um you know you play people in a world that uh, has suffered some kind of mystical uh apocalypse so there are still people and things that you know there are still survivors of the of the human race but they live in a world where you know basically there are giant spooky physics defying monstrosities that have consumed all of the cities and uh you know hunt people for sport and you know sometimes just looking at them will cost you your sanity so you know the few survivors live in various hamlets yeah actually another obvious they don't say this one but it feels very much sort of like dark souls the tabletop role-playing game in that sense because it came to mind yeah that like oh we're in a dying world but some of us are forever wandering here yeah but it's really i mean it's really it's it's both fun and it's good and again it's character creation and gameplay is simple without you know feeling you know entirely mechanically empty so you there are a lot of different little ways you can tweak your characters but then you know actually playing doesn't it's just like again i wish i could talk about this game without constantly mentioning dungeons and dragons but i feel like whenever just what i see online is whenever someone comes out with a new game there are a bunch of people who are like well why would i play this when i can just you know do the same thing in uh dungeons and dragons fifth edition and the answer is it you just kind of have to open it up and see what's there but it's just it's fundamentally it's just easier it's like at this point dungeons and dragons fifth edition is so mechanically overdeveloped like the customer characterization options are so like for one thing it's so hard to play characters who actually feels like somewhat powerless and hopeless in like a big scary world and this game like gives you pretty cool character options that make your characters feel like fleshed out and developed and weird as people. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, if you look at their stats versus the stats of the actual like monsters in this game, it's like, oh no, if you come across like, like the wrong, you know, giant, you know, like troll monster thing, your character is just going to get his head bitten off. And it's like, I like that. I think that is like a useful, um, interesting, like thing to have in a tabletop role playing game is the sense that your characters are limited and some and sometimes they're powerless and the best thing they can do is just you know be aware of their own limitations and avoid things like you know one of the monsters is just like a giant cloud of gas that if you if you uh if you um are exposed to the gas and your character just starts laughing you know for a certain number of rounds until they either leave the gas or asphyxiate and it's like, yeah, that's cool. And of course, because it's a gas, it has no hit points. So you can't kill the giant gas, laughing gas monster. You can just avoid it. And, mm. and just, that's just get further away from the dread. <laughs> yes, exactly. And there's a giant. Uh, so some other that's really like a lot of the most fun is just like the different, uh, the different, uh, they're called horrors that the game describes. So they're like traditional monsters, like goblins and trolls and shit. But there's also the, I think they're like the 13 kings and the 13 kings are just these giant white humanoid shapes with red glowing eyes that walk across the landscape and suck everything that comes into contact with them into a black void inside them. So they're just like black holes with that can walk around and suck the landscape into them and it's like no they're just 13 of these dudes and nobody can do anything about it and that's all there's ever been and there's also a a giant floating cube that's made out of people obviously inspired by the board cube in star trek but it's not like cyberpunk or whatever it's just like no it's a giant magical cube that's composed entirely of like human beings that have somehow like been psychically bonded together and really? so and so yeah it's just a weird gross fun cronenbergian stuff like that but there are also monsters you know just so you don't think the entire thing is just running helplessly from uh from monsters you know there are like you know liches and shit and there's magic and stuff you can do to like uh to like fight a lot of the monsters and you can occasionally eke out a win you can purify a corrupted shrine and you know bring peace back to some small part of the landscape for a brief period of time so all of that, and, and again, the book, the mechanics, you know, all of the dice rolls and the mechanics and the character creation are like, you know, 
20 pages and then you know there's a monster thing and the whole book is like 120 pages and it's great i would much rather play it than any than any version of fifth edition right now and i know that's a personal choice but i think it's just there's so many creative things and so many creative board uh tabletop role-playing games out there so i'm just recommending one it's called red giant well and some of the when you initially made the comparison to uh dark souls I immediately had to look this up because it was something I saw on Twitter that I thought was just a joke, and it is mostly a joke, but it's a a one-page RPG based on the Dark Souls series, and it's called Fucked Up Little Man, where (laughs) you play the role of a fucked up little man who interacts with the damned one, who is normally your player character, and your role is to help, help, in quotes, guide him along his quest by never giving him a straight answer and being vague and going a lot. So I don't know if it's any good, but it's something I do want to try. And so I think Kyle's recommendation is absolutely the better one to go. But if you want to take a chance, there's a one page RPG out there called fucked up little man. Well, Kyle, we did the good part. I guess what do we, we do? Is this the sad part or is this the relieving part where we fuck off for two weeks? Uh, a little bit of column A. I, I always miss our, our chats, Nicholas. That's but, true. You know, we will have more. We will. If we're, you know, we've got, you know, uh, weather pending. We got six years of chats lined up still. But as we talked about earlier, like, by the time we finish this at the rate we're going, I will be 45. And as a 45-year-old man, no, no, I'm not starting a podcast about young Sheldon. No, <laughs> no. Fine. So God help us put that on. So mark the time, mark the date. That's... Yeah, if, on my 45th if do, birthday, if, if you do, ask if, me about it, oh. <laughs> if something horrible does happen to us and we end up caving to the pressure and doing that then that that'll be the intro sound that leads in the show uh that'll be every episode we'll have to start with that clip uh just separate it from the rest of the of the podcast and make it um your uh make it have it ready because if we do do a young sheldon podcast that's how every episode will have to start god that feels like the feels like the refrain you would hear in hell like (laughs) You're walking around in your own divinely created ironic paradise, and there's just a voice that booms every now and then saying, You chose this. This is what you wanted. <laughs> <laughs>